0: The early mistakes sound familiar. Not enough testing or PPE, senior figures breaking lockdown. But in the past couple of months, has Scotland managed to get a grip on the pandemic in a way that England hasn't?
1: The big difference was that Nicola Sturgeon is aiming for elimination. She wants to get it right down to zero.
0: Over the last fortnight, Scotland has recorded very few deaths from coronavirus. Is it following a completely different strategy?
2: The truth is there's this false dichotomy between health and the economy. The places that locked down early got a handle on the virus have reopened their economies faster and taken less of an economic hit.
0: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today,
3: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.
4: Let me start as usual with an update on the most recent COVID 19 statistics.
0: In the middle of July, for seven days in a row, something extraordinary seem to be happening in Scotland.
4: I'm pleased to report that no deaths were registered. During the past 24 hours, no deaths, were registered. no deaths were registered. And it's worth just noting that today is the sixth day in a row in which zero deaths have been registered. And that, of course, means that this is the seventh day in a row in which no deaths have been recorded. During the past 24 hours, one death was registered of a patient confirmed through a test as having COVID. Even one death is, of course, one too many. But for us to have had just one registered death of a confirmed case in eight days is a sign of the progress we have made.
1: We have just come out of lockdown, so Scotland didn't unlock at the same time as England did. Mark McLaughlin
0: writes for The Times in Scotland and he's been studying the Scottish government's handling of the virus to see if there are lessons that can be learned.
1: Everybody's saying be on your guard for a second wave. Nicholas Sturgeon says at a briefing every single day, do not be complacent. It's like a match, you know, it takes a match to burn down a forest. So, yeah, we're feeling a bit happier, but we're not complacent.
0: Compared to England, where we're still having quite a high number of cases, it does look like Scotland's doing quite
1: well. It does. But this hasn't been a straightforward success story. We did get it bad, and Scotland is behind the curve, it's below the curve of England, but internationally it's not had a great pandemic.
0: In today's episode, we're looking at some of those early mistakes – but also a key moment where Scotland, under First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, seemed to diverge from England. And I'll be talking to one of the key scientific advisors to the Scottish Government. But we start at the beginning of the crisis. So take me right back to the start. When were the first cases detected in Scotland?
1: The first case that... The authorities were aware of was the Nike conference in the, the Carlton Hotel in Edinburgh. So this is Nike, the, the trainer people? Yes, the people that make trainers and tracksuits. It is believed that one of the delegates from Nike HQ brought the virus over to the Nike conference. It actually took hold quite severely at the conference. We we since discovered there was 10 Scottish delegates at that conference, and six out of 10 of those delegates subsequently tested positive for coronavirus. And it does seem like the contact tracing for this worked, but the Scottish government, uh, the Scottish authorities, didn't tell anyone about it.
0: So they had their first outbreak, and it sounds like it was quite bad, but... It was silenced. It was wasn't transparent.
1: It just wasn't released. And then what happened very recently? You know, only in the last few weeks, is the geneticists have studied the genetic code of the virus that they, they swabbed from the people at the night conference, and they have not found this particular strain of the virus in anyone else since. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, since early March.
0: So it really was just an isolated cluster?
1: It does seem so, from from what the scientists, uh, the geneticists are are telling us. So the the Nike strain seemed to peter out. The strains that did cause the outbreaks were the ones that were coming in from Europe silently bubbling under, and then they all bubbled up at once. Although that Nike conference did not lead to an outbreak, it, it, it might have made people a bit more alive to the risk I mean, I live about a mile and a half from the Carlton Hotel. Personally, if I'd known about that, I would have thought, well, that's a little bit close for comfort. The first mistake, I think, is they could have been a bit more open.
0: It would be the first of several mistakes in Scotland's handling of the crisis, many of which will sound familiar to people in the rest of the UK.
1: Testing was a big issue. They did not test widely. We didn't seem to have the tests to do it at the start. If we did that, we could have caught these hidden carriers that subsequently bubbled up in in mid March.
0: How prepared was the Scottish Government for a pandemic like this?
1: Well, I've asked that, was the very first question that I asked all of the experts that I was speaking to. We were about as prepared as we possibly could be. The Government and the NHS. Periodically, they do pandemic exercises, just as they do. So
0: planning exercises.
1: Exactly, yeah, just as they do terrorism exercises. There was one that got published under FOI. It was called Exercise Iris. And, and that was preparing for a MERS outbreak. That was a Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome, another coronavirus.
0: Did you get the feeling that there had been important lessons that they'd learnt from those exercises?
1: Well, one important lesson that Operation Iris did say was that we need to have good stocks of PPE because MERS is a respiratory virus. So that was a bit hit and miss. And what the experts said was they would have made a choice. It's like, well, we can spend a lot of money on a big warehouse full of PPE or we can buy a few more kidney dialysis filters for people that need kidney dialysis now. And I think the decision was, well, let's um, be as prepared as we can and and worry about the stocks later.
0: So probably on a par with England, you know, there there had been exercises in the past, but nothing that quite compared to what, what happened. A small stash of PPE, but nowhere near enough and not enough testing.
1: Well, yes. England and Scotland, they were almost on an identical trajectory up until mid to late March Everything was being run through COBRA, the UK government's emergency planning committee. Nicola Sturgeon's not usually on that, but she was invited onto COBRA for this Four Nations Action Plan. This was the four nations of Scotland, Wales, England and Northern Ireland. They were all in lockstep. Scotland, England, Boris Johnson, Nicola Sturgeon, at the beginning of March, were all following the exact same strategy using the exact same science. So any failings that you'll have heard about in England, Scotland were making the exact same mistakes at the start.
0: Another mistake in early April is a now familiar tale of a senior figure who helped draft the lockdown rules, breaking them. This time, Scotland's chief medical officer, Catherine Calderwood.
1: Catherine Calderwood was the face of the coronavirus pandemic. She had been out in her home in Edinburgh. You know, you did the clap for carers. A couple of days later, she was out walking in her second home in Fife.
4: I've already issued a statement this morning apologising unreservedly for travelling away from my home.
1: She was on the telly that day.
4: This is a
0: vital update about coronavirus. To help save lives, stay at home.
1: Stay home, wash your hands. Yeah. There was people on Twitter just like, Who's this idiot telling me what to do?
0: Shortly afterwards, Caldwood issued a late night resignation letter, causing
1: a bit of a scramble in the Times Scotland team. She went at ten ten o'clock, so me and the, the deputy oh, wow. me and the deputy editor were panicking.
0: But the news made it into the paper, just in the nick of time. Another mistake involves the handling of care homes. To clear capacity before the first wave hit, some patients were discharged from hospital and moved to care homes, in many cases without having been tested for
1: coronavirus. It's a very similar, very similar situation. Lots of untested people sent into care homes and then subsequently the care homes became ground zero in Scotland, just as they did in England. First Minister, uh, my mum, like thousands of her loved ones, is in a care home. On the 6th of May, at the height
0: of the crisis, members of the Scottish Parliament Parliament were expressing grave concerns about a series of major outbreaks in Scotland's care homes.
3: I am not one that ever pleads with the First Minister, but I will now. Please stop this practice now to save the lives of residents and the great people who look after them.
1: First Minister.
4: I'm going to come on to the specifics of what happened...
0: Standing at the lectern, Nicola Sturgeon looks visibly shaken.
4: But I don't think there is a single one of us who does not find this a deeply and profoundly upsetting uh, situation. So please do not uh, ask these questions in a way that suggests that we are not all trying to do everything we possibly can to do the right thing. Now, on the situation... Excuse me, President Officer. Um, On the situation with care homes... um,
0: She seemed really sort of personally distressed
1: talking about it.
0: It's clearly been weighing on her.
1: Oh, yeah. She says she has nightmares about deaths in care homes. I think it's just a product of exasperation, tiredness, fear. She does get defensive, particularly when you ask difficult questions. So up until about May... Scotland
0: is roughly on the same path as England. They're following the same advice, the same policies, making some of the same mistakes. But then, on the 10th of May, Boris Johnson does this big statement about staying alert.
1: So I want to provide tonight for you the shape of a plan both to beat the virus and provide the first sketch of a roadmap for reopening society. We're taking the first careful steps to modify our measures.
0: People in Scotland were hearing something very different at exactly that same moment.
1: This is an update about coronavirus for all of us here in Scotland. To protect ourselves and our NHS, the advice here is staying very much the same. We still need to stay at home. We need more time. And we need you to stick at it for a bit longer. Nicholas Sturgeon said, I have made it abundantly clear to the Prime Minister to make clear in that briefing that what you're saying only applies in England. Of course, it turned out that the message was pre-recorded.
4: Those announcements do not apply yet here in Scotland. So Scotland's lockdown restrictions remain in place for now. So that was
0: sort of a formal parting of the ways, really.
1: I would say the rot had set in well before then. Nicola Sturgeon banned mass gatherings of more than 500 people around about mid-March. And then this seemed to have caused a bit of tension. Nicola Sturgeon announced school closures in Scotland before Boris Johnson announced them in England. Before England, um, Scotland made face masks mandatory in shops So, yeah, there has been a gradual parting of the ways, but I think that really was, it was a watershed, I think, that that message Nicola Sturgeon said, "I'm, I'm going to do things my way as much as possible from now on.
0: Now in her sixth year as First Minister and 14th year in government, this is not the first public health emergency that Nicola Sturgeon has had to deal with. This press conference from 2009 might sound rather familiar.
4: To confirm uh, to you this evening that the two suspected cases of swine flu in Scotland have been confirmed as positive.
1: Nicola Sturgeon was the health secretary during the, the swine flu pandemic about 10 years ago. So she'd been through this before. You know, swine flu was not coronavirus but it had a lot of the same features. The
4: precautionary actions that we've been taking over the last two days have been extremely important.
1: They were doing daily briefings.
4: Uh, that they give us uh, the best prospect of disrupting uh, the spread of this virus. It's
0: experience that some observers think has had a bearing on Scotland's handling of the current crisis.
1: The big difference was that Nicola Sturgeon is aiming for elimination. She wants to get it right down to zero.
0: That's so interesting because in in England, you know, there was talk which is still controversial about herd immunity. And after that, there was always talk about trying to flatten the curve and trying to control the number of cases. But we've never actually talked about elimination. I mean, it seems so much more ambitious and sort of a, a more, potentially a more sort of permanent solution if you can really do it. Mm. How soon did that emerge as something they were talking about in Scotland as a serious aim?
1: Very recently. It's very recently that that we've been aiming for elimination.
0: One of the most prominent voices in favour of an elimination strategy is Devi Sridhar.
2: It's been, if I'm completely honest, quite horrifying to see kind of your worst nightmare play out at every point, I've always said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong.
0: She's a professor of global public health at the University of Edinburgh. And two years ago, she made an eerily prescient warning about the risk of a novel virus emerging from China. Now, she sits on Scotland's COVID-19 advisory group. And I gave her a call to ask how Scotland managed to get a grip on the virus.
2: Scotland went into lockdown probably earlier in its epidemic curve. And it held lockdown longer and made sure that time overlapped with setting up testing and tracing. And so, for example, when pubs and indoor hospitality, which is probably your riskiest move, yeah. was opened yesterday, we already had a handful of cases for two weeks, a week of no deaths, hospitalizations falling many days, no hospitalizations. So you feel at that point, OK, test and protect can take over and we can lift the restrictions. So it was a slow and steady approach with the added advantage of going into lockdown earlier.
0: You've been one of the leading voices on how to handle this pandemic. Have you been asked for advice by by Westminster?
2: A lot of our team's work in Edinburgh and the research we've done on international policies has been sent through to SAGE. But outside of that, no, I haven't had any other input into the policy advice.
0: Nobody's contacted you for for advice or for a chat?
2: No. No. What is the
0: strategy in Scotland? I mean, is it distinctly different to the strategy in England?
2: In April, the Scottish government said very clearly that there was no acceptable level of infections and that the objective was to drive numbers as low as possible And as we headed into May and June, this became articulated as a zero COVID strategy or an elimination strategy. The idea was very clearly that instead of flattening the curve, which means that you still expect people to become infected, but you just try to slow the spread through the population, that you actually just try to crunch it. You try to make sure that you can just get rid of the virus altogether. And this has been done by Taiwan, New Zealand, South Korea, China. And so that was the approach in Scotland was to really crunch it. I think in England, we haven't heard a strategy articulated. It seemed the strategy was to stay within NHS capacity. Would
0: it be fair to say that the Scottish plan is elimination, whilst the English plan seems to be that it's fine for people to get the virus as long as it's in an orderly fashion?
2: Yes, I think that would be fair to say, because you're seeing the lifting of restrictions when England is still running a considerable number of infections and having daily deaths. I mean, there's still on average around 100 a day of deaths. And so that means you have quite a lot of infections in the community. I wish there would be more of a debate in England about the possibilities of elimination of a zero COVID approach instead of just putting it off the table. It seems like it wasn't even considered ever. I also look at the scientific advice and the sage advice and think that there was a group who was quite fatalistic about the virus and thinking that suppression would not work in any country and actually giving up in a way and saying we have to let it go through and there's no point in implementing travel restrictions. We'll just delay what's the inevitable within a few weeks. And I think what this missed was first, the importance of delaying and buying time for science, and that front-loading deaths makes no sense. Already we have two approved therapies for COVID that would have saved a lot of lives had we had them earlier. And I think the second thing that was missed is that actually countries could buy time for their populations through eliminating the virus within their national boundaries and then putting in border checks.
0: Purely from a public health point of view, Should Scotland be shutting the border to England now?
2: Well, I think the key thing, rather than thinking about shutting the border, is thinking of how England could probably turn around and adopt a similar strategy. Because if you look at parts of England, like the southwest, they're pretty much COVID-free as well. And if you look at Northern Ireland and at Wales, they have a real chance there to eliminate the virus. So what I would much prefer to see... Is England actually looking at a more um, regional response and saying, okay, if there are areas that have cleared the virus, how do we make sure those areas are protected?
0: So would your advice be to Londoners, for example, people in the Midlands, not to travel to the southwest or to to Scotland for the foreseeable?
2: Well, I think the advice would be to think quite cautiously about right now traveling and moving. People do want to welcome tourists, but it has to be done in a cautious way.
0: Is there a fear that if you do manage to eliminate it and you, you manage to have the entire population sort of free of the virus, you might just sort of get it back in again the moment people start crossing the border? Is there much demand amongst the population to, to do something about
1: sort of border controls at the moment?
0: Um, What's the conversation there like?
1: It's, it's, it's divided.
4: <laughs> so basically what we're saying is, stay the f- out. The The people who protested at the border did not speak for me. They were not there on, on my behalf.
1: I mean, you had those idiots on the border. I think I saw a lot of the usual suspects down there. You know, you've got people like the Scottish Resistance and, I mean, they're just mental.
2: I mean, it seemed to be sort of like people
0: dressed up almost as Rob Roy, sort of proper nationalists, manning the borders
1: yeah i don't think i'm breaching the bounds of objectivity here by saying that they're just absolutely bonkers that aside i think most right-minded people can see that there is a need to have some kind of geographical protection
2: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact
3: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: Was there a moment when you could sort of see that Scotland had somehow managed to get a grip on the virus? Whatever they were doing, it was working. I mean, was there a sense of what that was? How did they manage to get the cases down so low?
1: I think it was an element of compliance. I also think there was an element of, of trust. If you look at the polls, Nicola Sturgeon's poll ratings, overall approval is um, plus 60 and Boris Johnson's is minus 40. So there's like a hundred point gap in trust. So if if Nicola Sturgeon says, you know, lockdown, a lot of people comply, a lot of people trust her. We had an extra week or so's notice. We We saw what was happening in London and we could get ahead of the game. So we were ahead of the game, we had a much more able communicator as, as a first minister. So all of that stuff worked in Scotland's favour.
0: I know this game sounds bizarre, but lots of people have been pointing out that the countries that have managed the crisis best have largely been led by women. So you know, you've got Germany, New Zealand, Norway, Taiwan, you know, even Scotland, which seems to be doing better than England at the moment.
2: Is there something in that? My sense is female leaders are possibly more risk averse And have been more cautious in their approaches and have gambled less with the health of their populations. There's no silver bullet, there's no easy way out of handling an outbreak and I think female leaders have done that well but they haven't tried to go for quick fixes or tried to spin their way out of the situation. They've just said okay we got to do the hard work and the hard slog to get through this and we need to communicate to people quite honestly about what that's gonna mean going forward.
0: So it helps to be a girly swat. <laughs> <laughs> the messaging really has completely diverged now. And by the 9th of July, you know, English pubs had been open for about five days. Scotland had had its first day of zero deaths. And I'm just going to play this message from the Scottish government.
3: Yeah, we've come a long way. Day after day after day of sacrifices, hardships, patience. Scotland, we've done ourselves proud. And it feels like now the cloud may be lifting. But now is not the time to stop. This virus is not done. Let's not undo all that good work. Progress made as one. A brighter future is in sight. If we do this right, we'll stick to it with all our might. Because we are Scotland.
0: I mean, that's a very powerful message. How is it being met?
1: It seems to be being met well. The Scottish people have been perfectly content with the idea that pubs are open in England, but they're not open here. They're just like, right, well, you know, we're Scotland, they're England. We know why you're doing it.
2: The truth is, there's this false dichotomy between health and the economy. The places that locked down early got a handle on the virus have reopened their economies faster and taken less of an economic hit.
0: What do you make of a number of scientists have said, though, that lockdown will damage more people than the virus would in terms of people staying at home, mental health, obesity. do Do you recognize that argument?
2: I agree with that fully. I mean, lockdown is this very crude, very costly instrument that has to be used extremely strategically for a short amount of time to get you out of a deep pit and into a better position. And so this is why I think the countries that locked down early, made sure their numbers came really low, got their testing and tracing up and running, figured out a package of measures to suppress the outbreak, have done better. Because the problem is that the longer you're in this halfway house of the economy being halfway and the virus being out of control the non-COVID costs start accumulating and all of a sudden you reach a tipping point where you just have to let the virus go because otherwise you're going to destroy more by trying to control it. So I think that's what we're trying to avoid with the zero COVID approach. You never have to have that difficult and horrible decision about COVID versus non-COVID harm, that there's a better way through.
0: Is it too late for England to adopt an elimination strategy?
2: Well, I think politically it'll be difficult because, of course, questions will be raised. Why didn't we do this from the start? But I think practically it is the fastest way through, especially if immunity does not build with this virus. It means you could see multiple waves of this. And if we have a truly horrible winter with a lockdown, with, again, people becoming infected and deaths increasing, by next spring, the idea might be, let's eliminate this. Why live with it? And so then the question is, why not just do it now in the summer?
0: Where do we stand now? I mean, we've sort of had lockdown lifting in England Has it been lifting At the same time And at the same pace In Scotland
1: No No um, Very pointedly not As I say The pubs just opened Last week They've been open In England For about three weeks What England Has been doing Gives Scotland A head start Because if we start To see Lots of outbreaks That perhaps Originated in a pub Then Nicholas Sturgeon Can say Right well I'm going to close The pubs again um, So yeah we We have waited And we can look at What's happening In England And 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 see where the outbreaks emerge in, in England.
0: One of the effects that seems to be coming out of this, you know, there is this increasing divergence with the government in Westminster and some of the latest polling shows that the support for independence in Scotland seems to be peaking in a way that it, it hasn't before.
1: Mm. John Curtis, the polling expert who's always on the telly, he said, looking at these poll numbers... It seems like a lot of Scottish people have cottoned on to the benefits of devolution for the first time in 20 years. A lot of people are now seeing what we can do with the powers that we had, and it's maybe softened them up for more powers. Now, of course, we're still in the heat of a pandemic. Whether this sustained 54% for independence will last until the end of the pandemic is for the future.
3: Where
0: do you think this leaves Nicola Sturgeon? As you said, her poll ratings are soaring at the moment. We don't know how long that'll last. But recently in an interview for her 50th birthday, she did hint that this crisis has taken a lot out of her. And she's potentially thinking about life beyond being First Minister. Where does it leave her?
1: Indeed. So she said in an interview a couple of weeks ago, that the Coronavirus crisis has made her take stock of her life. She said she's not going anywhere anytime soon, but she's certainly thinking about the future. As she said, every First Minister has got a shelf life, and and, and she's starting to think about what she's going to do when she falls off the shelf.
0: Yesterday, Scotland recorded another day of zero coronavirus deaths. The Scottish Health Secretary, Jean Freeman, told The Times... Although we are still responding to the current pandemic, lessons are being learned, for example, on supply and distribution of personal protective equipment across health and social care. However, the pandemic and its challenges are not over. We must continue to maintain our vigilance against the virus so we are ready to react to what lies ahead. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Mark McLaughlin from the Times Scotland team and the Professor of Global Public Health at Edinburgh University, Davy Schroeder. You can read more of Mark's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print in Scotland. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicolas Rawfast, music by Brakemaster Cylinder and Ketzer.
4: Yeah, my family was very close-knit, the, the four of us, my mum and dad and my wee sister, and me, very tight family unit, uh, but we were also very close to grandparents.
0: On Friday, Nicola Sturgeon spoke to Kathy Newman on Times Radio about her early life, being a woman in politics, and Scotland's handling of the crisis. We'll put a link to that interview in the description of this episode. See you tomorrow.